cream of the crop. Welcome along to the 20th edition of the Guna Podcast, sponsored by GunaShirts.com and recorded on the Monday evening after the FA Cup away draw against Cardiff, just 48 hours before Arsenal face Everton at Goodison Park. First a moment of history. The Guna always provides refreshments for our panellists and this is the first time that not one single member of the panel has requested alcohol. These are indeed sobering times, although the absence of the hybrid spy could be a factor in that. First up on the panel this evening is a man who had to leave us early last time around due to his attendance at what he described as a adult pantomime. David Udo. Good evening. Next up is the editor of the Guna, who claims his memory is being affected by the beta block as he is currently being prescribed, rather than the onset of senility. Mr. Kevin Witcher. Hello there in podcast land. And finally a new face, and here to give us the Arsenal Supporters Trust angle on things, sports PR guru and trust member... Trust board member, Mr. Tim Payton. Good evening, thank you. Okay, well, we shall start with probably what's the the, uh, the main news um, in Arsenal land at the moment, and uh, that's the uh, the signing or potential signing of Andre Arshavin. Um It's my personal opinion that he may or isn't necessarily the sort of player that we need to be signing. Um, Mr. Udo, what do you think? I think he'd be a great player to have on loan until the end of the season. Um, but um, ultimately, um, when everybody's fit, who do you pick in the four attacking spaces out of Adebayor, Van Persie, Walcott, Eduardo, Vela, Bentner, Arshavin, um, not Hleb, excuse me, uh, Rizitsky, um, <laughs> Abui apparently, um, Theo Walcott. There's already too many players for those, those so, four positions. You've got Nasri. Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. We have him on loan. We have him on loan. Yeah. Right, till the end of the season. Yeah. See how good he is. Yeah. See if he fits in with the Premiership. Yeah. See if he's not a lazy bugger and only has like two out of three good games. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't, we give him back. Yeah, I'll take that in a heartbeat. Oh, it's a strange <laughs> concept. Well, so, <laughs> so, 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 the, the, answer, the, the question you ask me is, he the, kind of, is he the kind of player that we need? And the answer is, at the moment, yes, for the next six weeks. But when Theo yeah. Walcott comes back from injury, if and when Thomas Rosicki comes back into the first-team squad, and, and when Cesc Fabregas, Fabregas is back, hopefully, and supposedly around the end of March, beginning of April time, he's not really the player. We, need. We, you know, we go back to the problems we've had before Christmas, which we still need a proper hard central midfield player to play next to Fabregas. We need a, a proper ball-winning centre-half. Absolutely. But, I mean, I think the reason why this has happened is exactly the reason I just said, is that, quite frankly, they know that as soon as we've had a good look at him in the Premiership, we won't want him, we won't, oh, yes, exactly. we won't want him in the team. Sorry, Tim. I was just going to pick you up there and you were talking about we won't <laughs> need him when so-and-so's fit, when so-and-so's fit. <laughs> you never have a fit squad. You've got to have depth. Isn't that where Manchester United can outcompete us at the moment? Mm-hmm. We've got to get back to having a proper 22, not a proper 12. No, that's true. That's true. Is, the, is he where we should start, though? I think what Arsenal are looking at at the moment is great value. They're clearly not going to go higher than about 12 million. And for a player with his potential of what he could do, that's very good value. Look what Spurs play, paid for Modric in the summer. But Arsenal's not going to go any higher than 12 million because he's balancing value with what it will add to his squad. He could be getting one of Europe's best players if he settled. At 12 million, it's worth a punt. At 20 million, it's not. Right. We could have had Bullard for five. Okay, we could have done. 
Uh, my, sorry, sorry, just, just, go, just go back to that, the, the previous point, and valid point that Tim made. If that £12 million is out of a pot of £100 million, I've got no problem at all. That's great. Yeah. But if, if rumours to be believed and the alleged war chest of £70 million <laughs> that became £30 million, that in, in light of everything that's going wrong with Highbury Square is now £15 million, I don't want to spend it there. I want, I want, I want to spend £10 million on Mikel Arteta, who we'd get as Everton are in yeah. worse financial... Um, uh, sorry, greater <laughs> financial dire straits than we are, and, and five million pounds on a another player that would spend all the time on your injury list, which is mentioned. Who <laughs> hey, well, Arteta? Hmm, interesting one. I don't know. Has he been injured a lot of the time at Everton? Then yeah, right. Okay. He's had well, a lot of problems with his stomach and his ribs. Oh, uh, I I did not know that. I stay corrected. Laughing at that scouse humour that is. <laughs> <laughs> Kev. Uh, well, I mean, I can see the logic in signing Arshavin in terms of the club's position. Uh, they. They need uh, an injection of something which is going to get bums back on seats because even though the seats may be sold, a lot of people have stopped turning up to matches. So in that sense, the club are thinking entertainment, um, we need we need some, some star quality here that's going to re-motivate people to attend matches. Are we that stupid? I mean, are the general... Like it's Jim a business Arthur? decision, I'm no, afraid. I know, but most surely, I mean, I know that I'm going back to this point, but most people who go and watch Arsenal week in, week out will know who Arteta is. You know, and yes. would they rather not? I mean, most, most people I speak to say, oh, God, look, a man that actually knows what it's like to play in the Premiership. The big money uh, that the club get is from the middle tier. There are some genuine football people there. There are also a hell of a lot of people who are there for corporate entertainment purposes, and they are paying ridiculous money. A box for West Ham for 10 people is £10,000. If you're going to try and ask people to pay £1,000 a game on a regular basis, you've got to give them star quality. That's the way the club look at it. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that the reason that um, they, they're looking at Arshavin is because it's a star name... I mean, in all in all truth, the one I mean, I, 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 we do need addressing at the back and in midfield in terms of defence. There's no issue there, but we also have lost our edge creatively. The only time it ever seems to flow these days is when Nasri goes into the middle after a substitution and starts unpicking the locks of of pretty average defences who seem to be keeping us out at the moment. So, on one level, if we're going to concede two or three goals a game. You know, we've got to have a players who can who can stick in four, mm. and that isn't happening at the moment. We're actually, ironically, winning a lot of games one nil, and the reason for that is a mixture of fortune and also Juru's relatively decent run of form, um, which seems to have settled the back four down a little bit. But uh, long and short of it is, we need we need. We probably need three players. We can afford one. The club have decided to go to Arshavin because they are very worried about people not renewing in that middle tier. And those renewals come up in February and March. Is he, is he the big name? That, I mean, like, no one wanted him. Barcelona didn't want him. And he's, the only reason he stayed there is because no one wanted to pay the money. Is he, is he a big, big name? Potentially. Right, OK. Is that going to put... Is a potential big name signing or a signing with potential going to... It'll raise curiosity really? initially, and there's the gamble. It's whether or not he works out as, as a player. That's the thing. It's a gamble, isn't it? I know that Arteta would, would be brilliant at Arsenal. Oh, I'd love him at Arsenal. Yeah. The thing about Arsenal, nothing to consider, is that 
The Russian season ended in November. Yeah. And uh, I think their pre-season's around at the moment, and obviously he's not at their training camp as, as he's not in a fit state of mind to be worrying about playing football. Um, I think they're in, in Dubai or the south of Spain or something, and it's in St. Petersburg at the moment. So he's he's got to come over here, be knowing in match fit. From there, he then has to go through the traditional acclimatisation period. The manager <coughs> insists that all, all foreign new signings have to go through, and yep. by then it's April, and his place in the team isn't guaranteed as our unfit players are supposed to be back again. Added to the fact that... So, sorry, sorry, just to move sideways on this... Arsene Wenger said that he wasn't going to go in for Gareth Barry in the summer because at the age of 28 he would have no resale value for sort of 16, 17 million pounds once his contract expires. Andre Arshavin's the same age. Yeah, and the amount of players that we have let go without, I mean, the likes of, well, I mean, I, I remember Edu's, your Carnus, your Wiltords. Yeah, I could go on, you know, um, I think I named. About two years ago, I named ten players that you know that I reckon we could have got about forty million pounds for had he we sold them a year ago. Even at like you know picking up sort of two or three million pounds for them each, we let them all go on free. You know, you Edus, you Will Tords, your Carnus, and then we moaned at the fact that we didn't have ten million, or he didn't have ten million to spend. You know, this this is a myth because you know when he wants to sign a Gallas and when he wants to sign an Archibin, he finds a the money and b he doesn't care what age they are. And I find that I find that amazing. I really do. And the other thing I want to mention is the mind of these players. People like I could have told him Reyes wouldn't be like wouldn't fit in with the Arsenal team. He hardly spoke a word of Spanish. Apparently, mm. he didn't. He wasn't popular in his dressing room. Gallas was trouble at Chelsea. He was going to be trouble at Arsenal as soon as things went wrong. Arshavin is coming in exactly the same way as Will Tord, and Will Tord ended up walking out of the club. Apparently, he was seen as sports psychologist. Another man that I, you know, probably a lot of Arsenal fans think Will Tord was a success. Personally, I think he played all right in a pretty decent Arsenal team. I think the guy's been pushed around France since leaving Arsenal. He keeps falling out with various coaches and players, and I yeah. think he's on his third club in about four or five years since leaving. Kev. Uh, well, I mean, watch this space. By the time people are listening to this, I suspect uh, the deal will have been concluded or not. And, um, I mean, for, for Wenger, the proof of the pudding is in what happens for the remainder of the season. Um, maybe he'll pull off a Cantona-esque masterstroke. We <laughs> live in hope. No, no. Well, you know, you've got to give. Quite often, this has happened. I mean, Reyes. I obviously complained about him there, but you know, he did provide that impetus for the back end of the season. You know, his performances and his goals probably sort of gave us that little bit extra. Mm. And so did um, Carnot, if I remember right, because he came in January, yeah. though there wasn't yeah. a transfer window. So you know, he has proved he can do that in the past. So. It remains to be seen. I hope that Arshavin is that man. But like you say, he's got a little bit of time to settle. So, Jimmy Bullard, you said you had a comment. Yeah, you, you were saying before we started the recording that um, he, he'd, he'd run around and he'd give us the um, he'd give us the never say die attitude that yeah. our, our current squad don't have. Put me in an Arsenal shirt. <laughs> I will run harder than those ten other bastards yeah. put together, but right. I will still be fucking useless. Right. And Tim, think, Jimmy Bullard's not good enough to play for Arsenal. You don't think he's good enough? No. Anybody else? I'm not one of his greatest fans. Mm. I am intrigued that Capello has called him up for England. I mean, my suspicion is he's a bit like Inabue. He's, he's there for morale reasons. He's the right. camp joker. Um, he can look good at Fulham. It's a bit of a step up. So my suspicion is that uh, he might be a decent backup player, but uh, he he's probably not worth what... Uh, 
would be asked in terms of the wages and transfer um, for the amount of use we get out of him. Mm. Why spend five million on Aaron Ramsey to then go and buy Jimmy Bullard? Yes. Well, well no, I agree with this entirely, but he's not playing him. Well, he hasn't been playing him. Well, there's well, a good reason for that, <coughs> and that's because he's got to come into a team which are performing well, in which he's, not too much is going to be asked of him. He is 18, and we saw at Cardiff uh, that basically if you surround him with mediocre players, he's not going to look any better than them. Um, Fabregas was partnered by, uh, in turns, Edu Gilberto Vieira in his first full season and benefited tremendously. Um, he had players he could pass to who wanted the ball, were confident in the ball uh, and weren't going to waste it. Um, Ramsey hasn't got that choice. So it's almost impossible to blood a young player in this team. Well, obviously yesterday was a, was a poor performance against Cardiff and like you said, I thought... Um but Ramsey was very poor. But uh, I mean, I, I didn't think it was a particularly good playing surface from where I was, which doesn't help. I mean, I, I, I won't be too critical of Arsenal yesterday. I mean, they they weathered Cardiff's onslaught, um, and they should have won the game. But mm. for a, a bit of misfortune, a bit of poor finishing here and there, possibly just a lack of imagination yeah. really told at the end of it. But uh, you know, the thing about cup games is it. it you don't remember them if you end up winning the, the damn trophy. I mean, we, we're all harking back to the last time we won a trophy without referring to the way we won it. Um, you know, I, I, can, I can forgive a performance because we're still in the tournament as long as we take the replay seriously in attitude, whoever goes out there. Um, I mean, the, the, main, the main thing lacking at the, at the moment, uh, aside from quality, is, is, is attitude and... and that that can come from results, and we've got a few results. So we're just praying that we manage to get momentum now and, and just take it into the second half of the season. Because defensively, the stats indicate we've improved, even though the evidence in front of my eyes questions that. Um, but you can't argue with the fact that they have not been beaten for a few games, and they haven't conceded a hatful of goals doing it. So I, I do think it's a Jura factor. Um, I think the team has improved defensively, albeit marginally. Um, we, we'll see what happens next. He seems to get through. If he can get through the warm-up, he seems to have a good game, show, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> that, that seems to be the thing with him. We'll have some predictions at the end of the, uh, the, uh, the podcast on where you guys think that the, um, think the Arsenal are going to finish in all three competitions. A reminder that the current issue of the Gooner, number 192, remains on sale for the matches against West Ham, Cardiff and hopefully an FA Cup fifth round match against West Brom or Burnley. The subsequent issue will go on sale at the home game match against Sunderland on the 25th of February. Gooner issues past and present can be purchased online at www.onlinegooner.com. You can also buy or renew a subscription through the website too. As ever, if you want to email us about anything related to the podcast, the address to use is goonerpodcast at gmail.com. Well, we mentioned the Cardiff game, and one of the uh, the few, well, the players I thought played particularly well yesterday was uh, Kieran Gibbs. Mm. Um, and uh, the question is, um, on recent performances, is Gail Clichy's style waning a little bit, and is Gibbs going to push him a little bit harder? What do you think, Tim? Well, let's be frank, his performances aren't good enough. No. First of all, he's got to defend, and there are too many lapses in concentration. So the most encouraging thing about seeing Gibbs play like that is there's some pressure to put on him. He's got to be told in private, you are great going forward, but first of all, stop the crosses and just concentrate. 
we can, it's too many times. If you want to be considered a world-class defender, you should count the errors that he's made against Spurs, against Birmingham, against Hull last week. You should be allowed five of those over your career, yeah. not in a one-year period. And yes, he's got some great energy that perhaps allows us to make up for it. I do question whether he's got the positioning sense to be a really, truly great left. Am I correct in saying he hasn't had a rest since he came back into the team in January 2007? I mean, obviously he was out, out of the... Um, the first sort of three or four months, because that was when Gallas, when Cole left and Gallas came in and reluctantly played at left back for about three months or so. And when yeah. Cleachy came back into the team around about December 2006, January 2007. Am I correct in saying, the exception of literally the odd game here or there, the guy hasn't had a rest in two and a half years? He's 22 years old. He's knackered. Is he still only 22? 22, 23. He's not 26. Fair enough. I mean, you, I mean, he's, he's a. I mean, if he's if he's that age, and obviously you know we, we talked about sort of blooding team players in at, at an age, careful like the likes of Ramsey. I mean, obviously Ramsey's a lot younger and Wiltshire as well. But you know, I suppose it's a little bit unfair to ask too much. And a lot of players do have that. You know, you see it in quite a lot of sports um, sportsmen, if you like, that they'll kind of hit a point and then they'll dip before they come up, and it's whether or not they can sort of dip and go back up, sort of just weather a storm. What's your opinion on Cliche, Kev? I think I think the the fans desperately wanted him to be um, a huge hero because of the nature of, of the player he replaced and the contrast. So so much goodwill towards him, and and he's been forgiven for a lot of mistakes, and and he's got such an engine on him that there isn't actually any question about uh, his commitment. I think Flamini and Gilberto between them last year and. Gilberto in the season before that um, helped hide any defensive shortcomings our fullbacks had. As um, Gilberto and Anthony used to, if you remember, played this role whereby the fullbacks were given license to run forward as as this defensive midfield player would then slot in to their hole to cover the the missing man. And that's not how Arsenal play anymore. You, we supposedly have two ball players in the centre of, of midfield, although the the naming of Alexander Song as a ball player is something I never thought I'd, I'd have to put up with in my lifetime in an Arsenal team anyway. Um, and I, I, I think it's not just cliche. I don't think Bakary Sanya is playing as well as he, he was last season, uh, which is something Russ was raising in, in previous podcasts. Um, and maybe, that's, maybe these guys are great going forward, but ultimately they're, they're just not great defenders and they were made to look better than they were by, um, by the players who are now unfortunately missing. Or maybe even William Gallas. Well, yeah. Because, you know, we all have our great years. Mm. So we've all agreed he's not a great defender. Is there any room for him to be moved forward? Put Gibbs in behind him? Possibly. Give Gibbs a few games and let Clichy balance the team out better while Nasri comes in and coordinates from the middle? Given our current situation, at no, least it's a stopgap. I know, this, this Nasri in midfield thing is just plain to see. It's one of the things that seems to be sort of staring Wenger in the face. And it, mm. I just honestly think that the reason he's not doing it is because he's too bloody stubborn. If the fans want it, they're not going to bloody get it because it looked like they've forced my hand. Yeah, you know, my, my dad's got a my dad is an AKB, unfortunately. As you know, Steve, I don't know if Steve has actually sort of uh, termed eight an AKB, and Arsenal knows best. <laughs> but um, his opinion is that the only reason Arsenal does that at the end of the game is because it's kind of like the right time to do it, as in the players are tiring, there's a little bit more room opening up, that sort of thing. I don't know what you think of that, but. Well, he's a natural replacement for Fabregas, and Fabregas starts the game there. So, mm. uh, I mean, the idea of partnering Nasri and Danielson is, is, is no more ridiculous than partnering Fabregas and Danielson, unless you really think that Cesc did significantly more defensive work 
Uh, I mean, the one argument against against Nasri is that he doesn't get many tackles in. I mean, when he when he does, sometimes he does very effective ones, but he tends to choose his moment. Um, my suspicion is that I think Wenger's now taken an approach whereby he is concerned about the team's ability to defend, and he likes to get to 70 minutes at nil-nil. You know, he's, he's not averse to that, because as far as he's concerned... Players have got the fitness to unlock a tired defence in the last 20 minutes, which is obviously when he makes the substitutions as well. Um, so, you know, there might be an element of game plan here, and uh, if we continue winning every game 1-0 between now and the end of the season, we'll all be delighted. What do we think of Bentner, Bentner out wide? He has not done badly. <laughs> I, I will say, I say this, he, 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 he's not a natural there, but on occasion... He's, he's put the work in and he's produced results. He, he, he might look like Bambi on ice, but he's a damn sight more effective than another player who starts in the position. I'm not going to knock him because he's told her to go out there and do it, and that's not his fault, but I don't think he should be out there, and there's got to be better options. What do you think, Tim? I think he's doing well for his yeah. age. We've got to remember, he's still only 20. I think mm. just turning 21 yep. this week, next week. Yeah. He's doing his learning, his education in front of us. Yeah. Whereas normally they come in 23, 24, they've done it elsewhere. And they're going to make mistakes. They're going to have ups and downs more. I think there's still a lot of potential in him. And you see it one week, you don't see it the other week. Yeah. But you've got to just allow for the age all the time. And it's not fair on them expect them to play like world-class players. They're world-class junior players. Yeah. And it's going to take a few more years for that to come through. I think he's... You can just see it starting to come through for Bentner now, that mm. he's come through the dipping form and the confidence. And I think he's an asset. I've always been a Nicholas Bentner fan. Uh, I've gone on record in previous podcasts. And the thing he's got going for him over a lot of players in our squad yeah. is that you can't level the charge at him that he doesn't run his heart out. I mean... Uh, the Manchester United game where he led the line up front on his own, he had a couple of half chances sort of in the last five minutes that um, he failed to finish off because the kid was was patently and palpably knackered because he'd run his heart out for 85 minutes. And you see players like Aboué and Song who give the ball away and stand there thinking, hmm, how did that happen? And, mm. you know, don't even think about chasing back after it. And you see them walking off the pitch at the end of the game there. Clothes are still bright red and white and there's... Uh, you know, not a mark on them. Um, I've got, I've got nothing but respect and time for Nicholas Bentner as far as that's concerned. My problem is though that, you know, obviously he's learning and he's not a favourite of the supporters at the moment by any stretch of imagination. He, I mean, just before he scored that goal against James uh, Bolton, he was Bolton, booed. He was booed. Um, they were, they were obviously um, cheering him when he was, when he got a pass. You know, completed an Arsenal pass, and. Um, I just think putting him in a position that he doesn't look very comfortable is just throwing him out to the Lions. And I don't think it's, it's fair to him at all. You know, I mean, and surely Van Persie would be better out there. I know it's not his favoured side to play out it's on the It's where wing. he plays for Holland. Yeah, Where he's exactly. regarded as the new Dennis Exactly. <laughs> Why not put, you know, put Bentner down the middle and play Van Persie on the wing? You know, and, and then obviously, you know, if he does take off, had to buy then you know the, the, the natural switch it just, uh, just makes too much sense well Wenger's had a history of playing um, uh, square pegs in round holes it was one of the <laughs> things he's noted for um, that's not that's not an answer he, no I know but it, it, it's what we've come to expect I mean that's the reality of it and uh, oh, you know I mean I, sometimes late in games it's just a matter of having another body up there I mean when 
when Bentner is most effective in that position is when the ball is on the other flank, it's coming across, and because the cross is a bit poor and beats the first man, he's, he's there to back up, and uh, I think that's how he got the goal uh, against Bolton. But, um, uh, I mean, it's, it's almost impossible to get inside the mind of Wenger, but there are, there are, there is a lack of options on that right side. You could say Van Persie, but he is so left-footed. Uh, you, you know, what, what Wenger wants at that stage of the game is crosses. And uh, to, to get decent crosses in, you need to get to the byline. You need to have your right foot in the right place to get a decent cross in. So Theo was a great impact player on that wing because he would go to the byline and get crosses in. Um, so I do think you've got to have a right footer on that wing late in the game. Um, and there aren't many alternatives. Some players do play. I mean, the problem I guess with Van Persie is he, you know, he's so one-footed. But um, some players do play, you know, better, you know, coming in. Van Persie's only one-footed in his head. He scored a cracking goal against Liverpool with his right foot. He scored great goals for Holland with his right foot. It's all, all up here in his head, and it's something that will always be a bugbear of me with footballers. They do an hour and a half's work in the morning. Yeah. Want to do some voluntary work in the afternoon where you spend two hours kicking the ball with your so-called chocolate leg. No, I know. As soon as you're on three million pounds a year. Must be in the head, because what explains Nasri going with the left against Hull, yeah. but then against Cardiff, looking in the same position, deciding to yeah. lose his time by swapping back to the right. But surely his head would have been right after a goal last week, but he went back to the safety position. The next item on the list. Is a breakdown of the cliches in Arsenal's first team squad. The cliques. Cliques. Sorry. Oh, yes. Um, I've got a list of them actually. But right. I, I, <laughs> where'd you get that from? Well, uh, interestingly enough, <laughs> I was just what your binoculars are for. I I, I use those on uh, to watch matches, but I saw this. Well, apparently, one of them was the Arsenal ladies. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Well, I mean, you've got to take your entertainment where you can find it. That's all I'm saying on that. Um, I actually was watching, um, it must have been on Arsenal TV, uh, coverage of the Junior Gunners Christmas Party. Right. And now what I noticed was who was sitting next to each other in the small groups when they are doing the signings for the kids. Because basically they had, um, let's say, five or six tables and certain players were sitting together. And the way it panned out, you could see it was who was chummy with one another. So, for example, you had Gallus uh, with Sylvester and Walcott. Now, the significance of that is that one of the so-called dressing room arguments that occurred, I think it was the half-time at the Spurs game, was between Walcott and Van Persie. Right. And so, basically, I, sus- I suspect Gallus stuck up for Walcott there. And so, although Walcott hasn't really got any mates, I suspect right, okay. that, uh, you know, he, he will basically chum up with Gallus in such situations as signing for junior gunners. But on other tables you have, for example, a pairing of De Nilsson and Vela. Um, and then you, what was interesting was some of the French players and, and some of the English players. So you had Colo Torre was with Bentner and Van Persie, but not the other African guys who, who were, you had a table with four of them together, which from memory was um, not having my list in front of me. The Arby, uh, Nasri, uh, Song, and uh, Adebayor. No, hang on, that's not right. Adebayor and Abui were sitting next to each other. Uh, I'm, I'm going to get the get the uh, bill for me. I'm going to get the sheet of paper. In the meantime, we draw your attention to Gunashirts.com, <laughs> your emporium, your one-stop shop for all Arsenal-themed shirts and goods. You're taking my job. <laughs> 
Well, I, what I was going to say is that I was very surprised yesterday then uh, Cardiff City fans were actually giving Arsene Wenger an awful lot of stick. But they were shouting something like, you know, Arsene Wenger is a wanker. And I was thinking, why haven't they reverted to the usual song that they sing when they do that? Oh, and then I realised who their manager was. Right. Oh, okay, very good. So anyway, this is a definitive list of cliques in the Arsenal dressing room. Number one, Danielson and Vela. Number two, Juru, Van Persie and Bentner. Sorry, I put Torre there earlier, but it was Juru. So Juru, Van Persie and Bentner. Then Gallus, Sylvester and Walker. Clique number four, Clichy, Sanya, Nasri and Diaby. Clique number five, Song, Ebue and Adebayor. And finally, clique number six, Almunia, Fabregas and Torre. Now, if you watch your goal celebrations and, and have made a note of these, I suspect you will find there is a grain of truth in this. You've got a grain. A, <laughs> a small grain. This is the cliques that gather at children's Christmas parties. These are the people as opposed to the who cliques choose when they eat, the cliques when it's, they train, the cliques when they sit on the bus. Exactly. And I suspect the cliques will be very similar when they eat, when they sit on the bus, when they celebrate goals. That is my point. I did notice when Adebayo scored with that header from that Van Persie corner that he kind of turned and then turned back to the corner flag to kind of just basically sort of give some credit to him. To who for the corner? That person. Right. Oh, interesting. Okay. If you see, he kind of he kind of turns it to go sort of one way, and then he kind of looks around and sort of you can see him pointing over mm-hmm. at Van Persie. So mm-hmm. perhaps, perhaps since Christmas, yeah, perhaps he got but, a nice Christmas present or a Christmas card off RVP and thought, oh, you know, perhaps so perhaps you can put RVP in here. I'm just glad somebody <laughs> just glad somebody sat with Paul Nicholas Bentner. Vision of him and his pink boots stuck on the table all on their own if rumours are to be believed. <laughs> He's taken them off, hasn't he? He started using different boots. Lime green now, aren't they? They lime green. I think so, yeah. I mean I can't believe how much was made out of that and how much column inches was given to the fact that, you know, he was given some pink boots by Nike, by Nike which yeah. was advertised on Soccer AM in the morning that he'd be wearing them because they were the new Nike pink boots. And it's made out he's been the person that's asked for these pink boots to be made. Poor lad, seriously. Well, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a bent and loving tonight, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, uh, there are cliques. There, there are cliques at every football club. The question is, are they too childish to get over them and play football together? <laughs> well, they're all very, very young players, and yeah, I mean, when I, I remember being sort of twenty three, twenty four, and in my first job. Um, because let's face it, ultimately, you know, we think it's playing football, it's the dream. It's not for these guys, and you know, any footballer talk, they, they mentioned when I go to work in the morning, going to training. Mm. People I didn't like at work, I stayed as far away from as humanly possible. People in my current job, actually, no, nobody in my current job, under, <laughs> uh, in which I'm currently under probation, until, until the end of next week, 23 months is up. Don't worry, I'll get this out next Monday. Oh, that's, <laughs> seriously. Oh, uh, <laughs> how does the Christmas party break down? How, do, how does everyone sit there? That's a good point. Well, well, you know, Team cliques. Yeah. Uh, well, we, we, my Francis isn't organised enough to have one, as it happens. <laughs> uh, but we'll have a couple of tables at the uh, May gala dinner. You will rush like to get uh, there early and move the name badges round. We'll put the uh, not sitting the next to him. He likes <laughs> rubbish. <laughs> Come along and see. That's all I will say on that. You do have them, don't you? Yeah, we do. We do. Of course, every every gathering of people is going to have cliques. Mm. Is going to have mates. Mm. It's got to be expected. Yes. Absolutely. I suppose the difference will be if we do manage to score a last-minute winner 
against Manchester United or Roma or Chelsea or something uh, and see what happens. I mean, because I mean, those are situations when the goalkeeper runs 90 yards and jumps mm. on a pile of 10 players that's already there. If, you know, we score a last-minute winner at Old Trafford in the last couple of months of the season, it's just Bentner celebrating <laughs> on his own whilst the others sod off to the halfway line. You're probably thinking, actually, there's something a it bit won't wrong be. with it. Or even more of us will be on the pitch with Bentner. <laughs> if you think when Bentner backheeled it away from the goal in a Champions League match against Liverpool because it came from the wrong cleat, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Do you remember Nicholas Anelka's second goal against Newcastle in the FA Cup final in 1998? Yeah, he was in front of the Newcastle supporters, but he had a habit of going to the away end. I know that, but... but Celebrating in front of away fans. Well, he stayed at the end he scored, but the only player to even bothered across the halfway line to acknowledge him was Ray Parler. Um, It was like he was persona non grata, um, Mm. and, and... his, his, his exit probably wasn't mourned greatly uh, a year later, but um, you get players like that. Um, but he could play for a team. You know, he did. He did actually. He might have been a moody sod, but he he played his part when he was at Arsenal and contributed towards winning the two trophies. Um, what I'd like to see is these players who don't get on doing that. Mm. Van Nistelrooy, apparently, wasn't he? Sorry? Another one, Van was another man that apparently wherever he's gone he's just made enemies. The only uh, person from Manchester United Football Club, apart from Van Nistelrooy, who went to Ruud Van Nistelrooy's wedding, was the manager. <laughs> right. Wow. Say no more. Mm. Right, OK, well, come to the end of the podcast and uh, we're going to make some predictions for the end of the season, which is totally unfair, but there we go. Um, we'll start with the one we're going to go out first. Over the Champions League. <laughs> <laughs> David, where do you reckon? Uh, I think we will beat Roma and we will lose in the quarterfinals. Um, I think we will we'll beat Roma as well. Um, I think as soon as we come up against English opposition, as last year, we will make our exit. If we can have a run to the final and avoid English opposition, we will be beaten by our old chums from Barcelona. Right, OK. You just answered my question. <laughs> <laughs> I also think we'll beat Roma, but when we get against quality opposition, I think more likely um, the best continental quality opposition we've seen against the English teams, even this year, that we can match them. And I think the confidence would be there, but I think we'll go out in the quarterfinals to a good continental team. Right. Okay. Ross? Me? Um, yeah, I'd have to agree with Kev. We'll go out to English opposition um, or, or Barcelona. Um, but then if we can avoid all of those to the final... I don't think we'd win over um, beat any of those teams over two legs, um, but uh, in the final anything can happen. Uh, the league, well, I think we're just going to have to go for a league position here, like not whether or not we're going to win it or not. As silly as it may seem at this stage of the season, um, fourth because neither me nor anyone involved with the club can contemplate fifth. No, and I hope and pray that Aston Villa spontaneously combust or the lasagna chef from the <laughs> East London Hotel does a stint in Birmingham towards the end of the year. Funny enough, I think Villa could finish top four and so could we. Mm. I, I do think it's a bit tight up there and funny things can have, have influences. Like just a little pile up of games can, can put one team off, off kilter for a bit. So I think it's close enough for, for me to predict fourth. Uh, I wouldn't like to say who's going to be fifth, though. No. I think we can edge third, partly because I think Liverpool, the wheels are really about to come off. Um, 
Benitez is clearly already beginning the process of justifying the move to Real Madrid. Two or three of the players will be concentrating on how they go with him. <laughs> Gerard's going to get distracted. And you can see the stress already in that team. And we know what happens once it goes. Very hard to, to come back. Yeah. And I think Villa will hit the fixture pile up. It's a small squad still. An inexperienced squad. They've already got, like us, the FA Cup replay and then a really tough game after that, assuming they get through. It'll be tight, but I can see a squeezing third. Mm. Are they still in the UEFA Cup, Villa? Yes. Yes, yes they are. Oh, There's a lot of games for them to come yeah. on, a, on a small squad. And if it averages out as it should, they've still got to get the one or two injuries to match what we've had so yeah. far. And we know ours are coming back. Fair point. I don't think personally that we're going to... We'll finish above Liverpool this season. I think they've got too much in the bag. Um, but I could see, because we've got to see how Chelsea reacted to their... Because uh, obviously the win at the weekend against Ipswich wasn't you know, that convincing. Um, I'd like to see how they react to their last two games in the league. and um, Because I still think we can pit them. Which could be fourth. Because Villa, I mean, Villa have got the luck of Benitez at the moment. You know, they've just got last-minute goals. They they seem to, when they play well, Villa, mm. they don't seem to win. But then when they're, you know, I mean, let, <coughs> against us in the first half, they were fantastic and they yeah. went in one down. Then we suddenly turned the screw in the second half and they got yeah, two goals. Yeah, yeah. And, no, they, they seem to have that habit of not playing well and winning. And I think that they could carry on, especially with the signing of Hesky and um, Zogba today, I think. I don't know if that's been uh, announced or, or if, it's got, if it's gone through. So I can actually see Villa holding on and possibly Chelsea dropping out. But that's that. So it leaves us with the FA Cup. Um, oh, well, it, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Russ, Russ is miming, flipping a coin into the tails. Um, depends on our run and it depends on uh, when the games come. Yeah. Because I think you get your first clash between the Champions League and the FA Cup at the quarter-final stage, am I correct in saying? Yeah, yeah, because the fifth round would be West Brom yeah. Burnley at home, which is... Uh, 14th. Yeah, Valentine's Day. Um, and Champions League's at the end of Feb. So if we, c- if we can get through Cardiff, get through West Brom Burnley, it depends entirely on who we get in the quarter-finals of the FA Cup. We get someone like Fulham... I back us to win it. But if we get drawn against Manchester United away again, you'll get a farcical situation like last year when Wenger sends up the Debenhams ladies' reserves in the hope <laughs> that we'll lose 15 nil. Yeah, um, or the, or the uh, awful semi-final where he put uh, Ali Ali, 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 Ali Dare up for his first game well, in the yeah, bank. He had the crossbar. We had two great chances in the first five minutes. It's not going All on one. <laughs> I do think we'll have our first as a club to Wembley right don't necessarily think we'll win it but if you look at the draw it's that one tough quarter final you'd hope if they grind yeah. it out and so I do think that we'll we'll get to see that place with Arsenal fans in it because of the semi-final semi-final yeah. <laughs> oh right okay <laughs> mm. I, I'm, I'm going with Tim I, yeah. I, I just say I reckon we'll, we'll make the last four but uh, I wouldn't like to predict any further than that no I'm not going to either did you give? A, did we all give a prediction? You've all said semi-finals, haven't you? We'll say, oh, I said it depends. No, I can't give it. I mean, we'll win it then. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's a man of conviction. <laughs> a final against Liverpool the day after the 20th anniversary. That would be quite oh, special. Yeah, no, that's no, oh, cool. yeah, that'd do. Yeah, I'll tell you, a final against a Liverpool team. How about that? <laughs> I prefer to play the other half, it must be said. Um, anyway, on that note, 
just enough time for us to say a quick farewell. So, Mr. Udo, thanks very much. My pleasure as always. Uh, Kevin. Hope you've enjoyed it. And thanks for joining us, Tim. Thank you. Um, I've been your host, Lord Ashburton. Until next time, thanks for listening.